When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. The Eye Test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy. The Stanley Cup winning Colorado Avalanche. And after 22 years, Raymond Marsh! The sickest NHL podcast. It's going to be sick. And welcome to another edition of the Eye Test here on the Sick Podcast Network. Pierre McGuire and myself, Jimmy Murphy here. And we've got another great guest lined up. And I think we're going to get to go right to him. You know him from all sports, not just hockey. He calls everything. And he's got a great new book out called A Mic for All Seasons. And he's joining us right now, and that's the great Kenny Albert. I think we got him. Kenny, you there? I saw him pop up there, Pierre. Well, we'll get him. Don't worry. He's in Nashville getting ready for the Nashville-LA game. That's right, Kenny. We got you? Well, we'll get him in a second. But anyways, you know what's great, Pierre, about Kenny, though? Like I just said, all sports. It's pretty amazing that he's able to call any sport there is. You you put him out there, he'll call it. And that's an amazing talent to have in this day and age. He's a chip off the old block. His father, Marv, was just like that as well. And what a legendary career Marv Albert, Kenny's father, had. You know what's cool about it? I'll never forget riding on my bus from the airport in Rio to our hotel, which was a little bit removed from Rio. And I sat right next to Marv Albert, and we just – all we talked about was basketball and hockey. It was it was so good. But when, when I was a kid growing up in Montreal, we could hear the Ranger games – at night on the radio, and Marv was the voice of the New York Rangers on the radio. So I, okay. I grew up listening to Danny Galvin, Dan Kelly, and Marv Albert. Those were the three guys I listened to in terms of play-by-play. It was pretty amazing. You get not, not not to sidetrack, but you guys could actually get, I think, up in, back in the day, you could pick up the old WBZ from Boston, could you, you not? Could get, you could get Boston. You could get Detroit because yep. we'd get yeah. Detroit out of Windsor a lot. You could get Chicago. And yep. you could get uh, you could get St. Louis on KMOX, but what I you know again, uh, Marv was one of the guys with Danny Gallivan and Dan Kelly that I would listen to all the time. Yeah, yeah, he's great. And just, I just remember dri- randomly, it came in my head when you said that driving up. I think I was like in Vermont somewhere, and I was still able, crystal clear, to hear a Bruins game on the air, get me through a snowstorm. So. <laughs> you know, memories like that. I, I just announcers always stick in my head. They take me to certain places in, in my life, and you know, certain memories that I have. And it's amazing that uh, someone's voice can do that for you. You know, and I think that's that's the case for so many Rangers and Knicks fans for sure. 
when it comes to Kenny Albert. We will get him on. We've got him in the green room just working on some technical issues here. Um, Pierre, but I, you guys call plenty of games together. You work together on many occasions, and I've got some clips I found. But, I mean, off the top of your head, is there is there a Pierre-Kenny moment that uh, that came to you? There were a lot. I'd say the uh, the women's gold medal game from Korea was a really big game. It was Canada versus the U.S., and the Americans fell behind in that game, and there was a ton of energy in the building. <clears throat> Eventually they won. I thought that was a really important game. We, we did a lot of playoff games together. I can remember a San Jose-Colorado series. I can remember a San Jose-St. Louis series. I can remember being in the bubble with Kenny up in Edmonton for two and a half months. We called a lot of games there, Jimmy. <laughs> So yeah. you know, what I see, what I loved about working with Kenny um, was how prepared he was, how thorough he was. And it wasn't about him being great. It was about the game being great. And he just wanted to be a conduit to make the game great. And he, he really did. He, he, he's really a special teammate, but an awesome broadcaster. He really is. Yeah, and I'll tell you, Pierre, it's funny because you've already told us what it was like being in that bubble before. And so I was trying to – it's like that would, he was there as well, and so I was right. I knew Kenny must have been there with you. Um, we were, you know, there wasn't a lot of places for us to walk around, <laughs> and I don't think there might have been two or three dining options, if I remember correctly. But uh, we got they used to call it the yard, so it was almost like a prison. Um, and the yard was in front of the arena in Edmonton, and it was all caged in with uh, you know wire and and uh, curtains. So you couldn't see out, and they couldn't see in. And Kenny and I walked the yard a fair number of times, I think, when we were there. Did you at least have, like, could you'd have skylight above you, though, eh? You still yeah. were able to well, oh, yeah. okay. we could see. We could see the sky and everything. Um, and I can tell you, Alberta summers are spectacular. You know, the sun oh, stays yeah. out long, and it uh, doesn't rain very often. And, and it, I thought the weather when we were there was phenomenal. It was really special. But, again, you couldn't get out. So I, we had a place we'd eat in our hotel. There was another hotel where we could go and have something to eat. And uh, there was a concession stands in the rink, and there was nobody there except for the people participating in the games. So the poor concession guys, there, I think there was only one or two stands open. So, um, yeah, that's what we would do. It was pretty amazing. Now, now here's the important question. Where was the pub? The pub was at there was one. There was one at the uh, Sutton Place Hotel. Okay. Uh, I spent some time with Milan Lucic there at the time when he was playing. Um, uh -huh. I and I spent some time with some other players that were there. Uh, but Milan was larger than life in Edmonton because he had played there. Um, right. You know, he'd also played in Calgary. And then there was a place in our hotel where Kenny and I would go after every game. And usually the officials ended up there too. Oh. We would order dinner. And uh, yeah, it was, it was kind of neat. We were all together. There was nobody allowed in yeah. and nobody was allowed out. So you either on a team, you were a referee, or you were a broadcast, and that was it. There was nobody else there. You guys are united. You know, I mean, in some way, you'll have that bond forever with those people, Pierre. Well, what it really made you appreciate as somebody that has worked in the league for over three decades was the commitment of the officials. I, I Jimmy, I'd go to the gym every morning at a set time, and – I'd probably be the last man in. And I used to think that I was always the first guy in the gym, and I'd kind of be the last guy in the gym because the linesmen and the officials would be in there training just as hard as I would try to go. And we would talk at the end. We'd all be, like, sweaty yeah. and happy. And, you know, that euphoric feel you get when you've had a real good workout. 
I learned so much about all the officials. I learned about their families, about their commitment to the game, about how they became officials. There was one official, I'll, I'll leave his name out of it. He told me how he became an official, and, and it really started when he was a young guy. He knew he wasn't going to be good enough to be a player, so he took an exam to go be a prison guard. I'm not kidding you. He did, and he eventually became one. Wow. And when he was doing that, he says, you know what? I think I could be involved in hockey. So he started doing it on the side, and eventually he became an elite official. That's awesome. And, but he started out as a prison guard. Wow. You know? So it's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing, yeah. So many stories. I love it. All right. We, we do have Kenny Albert joining us now here on the ITES on the Sick Podcast Network. Kenny, how are you, my friend? I'm great, guys. How are you? Good. Good to see you. Good to hear you. We're just uh, we're talking some uh, bubble stories uh, from uh, the 2020 playoffs there, Kenny. I'm sure you've got some fond ones there. And, and, and Pierre was just telling us what it was like to be trapped in there, but also about the bonds you form, you form with all the people that you're there with because you really have no choice. <laughs> We really did. Uh, Pierre and I spent a lot of time together in the bubble in Edmonton. I was there for 37 days. Pierre was there a lot longer. I remember chatting with Pierre uh, when I was still back at home in New York, New Jersey, working some of the early round games out of Stamford, Connecticut. And Pierre was kind of giving me the lowdown on, on what to expect. And the four-day quarantine when I first got there and uh, was such a great resource. And then when I arrived, he would help uh, drop food and, and drinks outside my room, water bottles, uh, when I wasn't allowed to leave the room for those first couple of days. But, um, you know, when I look back, obviously we weren't there for a great reason uh, because mm -hmm. of what was going on in the world. But we had a terrific time. I mean, such great memories. Pierre and I called two games a day. On a couple of occasions, we called three games in one day. Wow. And for a couple of restaurants that we were able to go eat at, both in the arena in the hotels and everybody really did form that great bond because there weren't many people there. It was the, yeah. it was the teams, the players, the coaches, the trainers, uh, the staffs, the officials, uh, the TV folks, the league folks. And that was it. Right. So we, we would have dinner after every game. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, when I, when I think back, you know, we did something that, that probably will never be done ever again. We called two game sevens in one day in the wow. second round of the playoffs in the Western Conference. And then the two days that we called three games, it was just an incredible time if you're a hockey fan, if you work in hockey, to be in one of the bubbles and have the opportunity to witness and work so many games during that stretch. Well, I want to go to one of those games you just mentioned, specifically one of those game sevens. This is Dallas and Colorado. And, of course, Dallas pulls off the upset in overtime. Let's go to that clip right now. Davey Ronta setting up in front. He shoots. He scores! A hat-trick and a Game 7 overtime winner for Yoel Kiviranta of the Dallas Stars who move on to the Western Conference Final. Now, of course, Dallas en route to the Stanley Cup Final after that, too. Uh, I want to ask you guys, so you, you mentioned there's nobody there, and it's such a dramatic moment. How when you went into this, right? How how much did you guys know that you were almost going to have to compensate for the lack of fans and the lack of audience in the building, uh, and, and kind of even elevate your excitement a little more uh, to to bring that real, if there is any realistic feel, as close as you can get to that realistic feel on the broadcast. Well, first of all, Yoel Kiviranta became a household name that day around North America right. with, with the hat trick and. 
Uh, that was a crazy game back and forth in the last couple of minutes. Uh, a bunch of late goals scored. Colorado had so many injuries, not not to make an excuse for the Avalanche, yeah. but they were a completed roster and kudos to the Dallas Stars. They were, uh, you know, without their starting goaltender, Ben Bishop, it was Anton Hudobin. Uh, during that playoff run. Um, you know, as far as the question, though, and it's a great one, uh, the league did a terrific job. They pumped in some crowd noise. Uh, they had music. They had each goal song ready to go in the bubble. So whichever team scored, you would hear the goal song that they would usually play in their arena. Uh, but there were no fans. There was no crowd. And during normal times, I usually like to keep the volume pretty high up in my headset while working right. a game. I can feel the arena, feel the crowd noise. Uh, that wasn't the case there. So uh, I know Pierre was the same way. We had to remind ourselves. Uh, within the bubble to make sure we generated the same excitement that we would if there were 18,000 fans in the building. Jimmy, it was never hard to get Kenny excited because he's got such a passion for the game and his calls from that time in, in uh, Edmonton are, are legendary calls. I can tell you I was there for all of them. But one of the, there are two things I remember from that game. One, you all Ranta and his story of how he made the Dallas Stars. He was just a guy playing in the Finnish Elite League and Yuri Lettin and the former Dallas Star players, the one that called the Dallas Stars and said to Jimmy Nill, you should give this guy a chance. I think he could make your team. And eventually he did. Um, so that was a real positive thing, obviously, uh, for them. And, and then obviously him getting the hat trick in that game. But what I remember the most, and it's kind of the weirdest part of the story, how angry Nathan McKinnon was on the bench. And I commented to Kenny off the air, not on the air, but off the air, I just said, man, I've seen some guys really disappointed. That's mm -hmm. about as disappointed as I've ever seen any human. He was so angry, mm -hmm. and uh, he's carried it forward, and obviously not too long after that, they eventually won the Stanley Cup in Colorado. But I remember the emotion and the energy from McEachern, or uh, McKinnon, excuse me, and I also remember Kiviranta's story, and the guy that really deserves a lot of credit for it is uh, Yuri Lettinen, and that re recommended that they sign that. Player. that. Wow. Good old Yuri Lettinen. Uh, well, listen, Kenny, I, we've got a couple other clips, and I guess what I want to just do is play play some of them, right? And we'll go to them, and the memory that comes to your head right away they're is good, Kenny, they're really good, Kenny. You'll see. They're good. So let's go to the first one we got, guys. Future clock comes in front. Callahan with a chance. It stopped. Rebound. Score. Score. Score with 6.6 seconds remaining. The Rangers tie the game at two on the power play. Check with Green. Face off to the left of Holtby. Mitchell now on for the Rangers with Stepan and the Nishimov. Puck comes out to the right point for Stahl. Wide shoot. Scores. He scores. Mark Stahl on the power play. Rangers lead the series three games to two. All right. So what, what does that do for you right now when you go back to that moment, Kenny? You know, I think back to some of those uh, series, and, and Pierre was there for just about all of them on the NBC side, uh, yep. working with, with Doc Emmerich and, and Eddie Olchek. And I was on the radio side for those calls uh, with the Rangers, with Dave Maloney. And, you know, during that stretch from 2012 through 15. Uh, when the Rangers made it uh, three times to the conference final, once to the Stanley Cup final, uh, with Henrik Lundqvist leading the way, uh, there were so many you know great memories, overtime wins, Game Seven victories for the franchise. You know, people forget it was 11 out of 12 years they made it to the playoffs from Lundqvist's first season 
through 2017. And they just snuck in a number of those years. And, and he was the reason why. Um, you know, sometimes they were towards the middle of the pack offensively, but uh, that that's how great he was. A Hall of Fame goaltender and uh, some of the goals we just heard, you know, late in the playoff game to tie it and then winning goal in overtime. I think back to the Derek Stepan game seven in overtime against Washington. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 2015. So, uh, great memories for sure. Uh, Pierre was right there at ice level for uh, most of those games throughout that run. All right, let's go to, we got another clip here. Subban out of the box. Subban on the breakaway. He scores! So that's, of course, the Canadians on their way to eventually play the Rangers in the conference final in 2014. In that moment, I was there, Kenny, and I, you know, I don't know how many times you've been in the Bell Center, but obviously you must know it's one of the loudest buildings in the league. I have been there, I'd say, at least over 50 times to cover a game. I've never, ever heard it that loud than when P.K. Subban put that goal in out of the penalty box. Just your take on that environment right in that, that moment. No, I think I would agree. It was just so loud that night, and I certainly remember that goal like it was yesterday. But a funny story. So my wife, who Pierre knows well, um, you know, she had always heard. I, I told her so many stories about Montreal and the Bell Center. and uh, <laughs> the So uh, she came to a game, I think it was earlier in that series, and the Bruins shut out the Canadians, one nothing, an overtime game. Uh-huh. She didn't get to hear... Uh, you know, what the building was was like that night because the Canadians didn't score. Her only other time at the Bell Center was against the Rangers in the 2017 playoffs, and the Canadians were shut out in that game too. So <laughs> two trips to the Bell Center, she has oh, not scored a goal. So unfortunately, she was not there that night. Oh, Jimmy, man. I'll tell you a great story about Kenny. So there were a lot of times Montreal was playing Boston in that series and, and the Rangers were in their own series and Kenny was working both series. And so he'd be in Montreal and as soon as the game was over, he'd get in the car and he'd take the car service down oh, to the do the game and then come right back and meet the rest of the, the Boston uh, series with Montreal. So it's amazing the energy that he had for these calls, Jimmy. I'm just telling you, like I was there, I saw it all. And he doesn't make it up. Like, this man was so prepared and so on it. And we had a lot of good car rides together, didn't we, Kenny? Uh, we started <laughs> car rides, plane rides, uh, long rides to Olympics in Sochi, Russia, okay. you know, South Korea, uh, Vancouver. Uh, a lot of great memories. But, yes, there were some uh, <laughs> travel days. I remember uh, we, did a, we did a playoff game in San Jose. And. It was the San Jose-St. Louis series, and uh, we, we both took red eyes, separate airlines for whatever reason, and uh, Pierre and I were racing to see who could get to the hotel first uh, in St. Louis for that next game during the off day. <laughs> but I think, back, I think back to some of those playoffs, um, and Pierre was doing it as well on the TV side. He would work both, uh, for example, Eastern Conference series in the second round. Sometimes Pierre would work both conference finals, you know, going back and forth with a game every day and, and would always bring the, the same energy and passion. But in 2014, uh, when I was asked to work the, the Western Conference final by, by uh, NBC and Sam Flood, mm-hmm. and ironically, the Rangers, who I do the radio for, made it to the conference final. 
So that was the first time where I really uh, was going back and forth. And, and during that stretch, um, and I wrote about this in my book, it was uh, it was the Kings, Blackhawks, and the Rangers, Canadians. Yeah. And I worked all but one of those games just for logistic reasons. I didn't work the first game in Montreal, which was the game when Carey Price got hurt in the collision That's with right. Chris Ryder. Five of that series, and then all seven games of LA Montreal, going back and forth. But uh, you know, I learned from Pierre. I learned from the best. He was able, <laughs> to, you know, fifteen games in sixteen days, often in the playoffs. And you know, when we were at the Olympics, we would work two games a day for two weeks. But the the main difference there is at least we're in the same place. There was right. no once you're at the Olympic site, you're in the same hotel room. Uh, you're still not getting much sleep because it's two games a day and then preparing for the next day's doubleheader, but uh, there's no travel involved once you get there. You know, Kenny, I was telling Jimmy before you came on, one of the memorable games that I ever had a chance to work with you was in South Korea, the women's gold medal game between Canada and the United States. And I really believe that's one of the games that helped put women's hockey on the map mm. long term. And, and it was a spectacular event. And I thought your voice was so great on that game. The Canadians got the lead. The Americans pushed back. I remember commenting to you that if the Americans didn't start getting more physical, they weren't going to win the game. And Rob Stauber was coaching. I remember he started putting up some of the larger, more robust American women. The Lamaru twins went out there, and they started doing some damage. And, and all of a sudden, the Americans started taking charge. But then Kenny took charge. And the, the – End of that game, Kenny, I know you probably have the tape somewhere. People should have to go listen to that. You did such justice to that game. It was a phenomenal display of broadcasting. It really was. Well, I appreciate it, Pierre. And I remember exactly when you made that point. I think it was midway through the second period. And that's when Rob Stauber made those changes right on cue. But that that's in my top five, maybe even top three. Wow. Uh, all-time games that I've worked, and it was just so memorable. Uh, Canada had won the gold medal at the prior four Olympics. Uh, the U.S. had won in, in 98, and then Canada in 2002, 6, 10, and 14, and it was such a rivalry. And, you know, Pierre and I got to know a lot of the uh, players on both sides. We worked with so many of them uh, on the TV side and, and from calling all of those games. And um, it really was and is a terrific rivalry. And, and to be in the building that night, um, you know, it was late night in the U.S. You know, I remember getting texts from people watching it about two in the morning yeah. when the game ended uh, in, in the East Coast in North America. But um, it, it's one of those games that I'll never forget, uh, you know, as far as, you know, our call, the entire broadcast all working together, what was taking place on the ice, just the emotions it went to overtime. It went to a shootout. And, you know, I remember the next day uh, it led to Today Show in the United States. They some of the players yeah. on set. But that's one that, that, you know, when I think back, I've had the good fortune now to work two Stanley Cup final series on, on national television. Um, have called NFL playoff games. Uh, as far as baseball, the Bautista home run and bat flip is a game that I certainly get asked about. <laughs> time from 2015 uh but i'll put that game that pierre referenced uh the u.s beating canada for the women's gold medal right up there certainly uh in the top three to five games that i've ever worked 
What, guys, I'd, I'd like to ask both of you this question too, because it just came to me as you're describing that moment. As an announcer and an analyst, when you're in a situation, you're in an environment like that at the rink or at the basketball court, baseball field, what have you, and you know, you sense that moment during the game when you, you're like, I'm part of history right now. Like something big is going down in front of me right now that people are going to talk about for years. What is that feeling like for you guys as broadcasters? When Because I'm sure, you, you know, it will hit you in certain moments that that's what's going on. Well, I think Pierre certainly knows the feeling from working uh, 15, 18 Stanley Cup final series, whatever the number is, and all the Olympics uh, that Pierre worked. It, it does feel different. You know, you do feel the magnitude of it. Gotcha. And I, one thing that made that game even bigger was the fact that the NHL players were not there in Pyeongchang. And right. women's hockey, uh, you know, certainly was was a huge focus during those Olympic Games. And I think uh, and, and we we worked the games on the men's side and, and the Germany, Russia gold medal game was certainly very was, memorable. Well, yeah, went to overtime. But I think because the NHL wasn't there, it elevated uh, what was going on on the women's hockey side for sure. I would totally agree. And I think one of the best parts about the Olympics and women's hockey in particular and the way NBC dealt with it, they didn't always put just depth people on the broadcast. They put their best people on because it really mattered to them. Mm -hmm. And the, the, I'll never forget the O2 Olympics in Salt Lake and that game, Haley Wickenheiser was unbelievable for Canada. It became a real emotional game and obviously Canada won. And then 06, the Americans got upset earlier in the tournament. Um, and so they didn't make it to the gold medal game. And then 10, that was the coming out party for Mary-Philippe Poulain. And she was so good. Kenny, I know you remember, just he, she was so good. She shot the puck as well or better than any player I'd ever seen. And I made that reference during the broadcast. It was just unbelievable how good she was. And then the 14 game, and Kenny, you were there watching it. Doc and I were doing that game, but I know you were there. And, and what I remember the most is Kevin Deneen was coaching Canada, and Canada had to come from behind. And Kevin just coached brilliantly the last 20 minutes of that game and eventually leads to Canada winning another goal. And then it leads to Kenny's magical moment in Pyeongchang in 2018. And I really believe women's hockey is where it is now because of all these great Olympic games we've had a chance to watch and cover. I really believe that. And women's hockey now is legit. It's really good. And it's it's so much fun to watch. Like I'm watching almost all the games now on TV like I would the men's game. Yeah, yeah no. Totally agree. Um, and I, I called that 2002 game. I was filling in for Doc. Uh, <laughs> we called that gold medal game. And then I was there watching in 14. And remember, uh, the U.S. had the lead and hit the post with the net empty with the goalie pulled. So that's when it came to winning that one. But just such great memories. Re really enjoy, uh, enjoyed calling the, the women's games at the Olympics, uh, you know, since – since 2002, that first year. Hey, Jimmy, Jimmy, I got to tell you this. I'm not sure there's a more humble guy than Kenny Albert. So I watch a lot of football because that's hockey's what I do for work and I love it. But I, I, I watch football and I watch a lot of football. And I, I text Kenny during the games that he watches and he always gets back to you where there's a salvage of play. And that makes me feel so good. But my team, the New York Giants, 
they haven't been real good lately. So I'm kind of hoping Penny's going to help propel them to the next level. <laughs> well, I, I always enjoy getting the text. And, of course, Pierre played football at Bergen Catholic in New Jersey, yep. not too far from where I live. And uh, I was just texting yesterday, actually, Pierre, with Darren Rizzi, who's a yep. Bergen grad, yep. who's a great coach. He's yep. the uh, special teams coach and assistant head coach for the New Orleans Saints. And, Pierre, I don't know if you saw what he did when they played the Giants this year. The Bergen Catholic. He came out with the Bergen Catholic T-shirt during warm-up. Oh, I saw it. So the Giants starting quarterback played for the rivals, Don Bosco. So oh, my gosh. Darren Rizzi, <laughs> when he came out wearing that Bergen Catholic T-shirt. That's great. I did see that. In fact, I think you were kind enough to send me a, a text on that, actually. So that was good. Um, and, you know, it's hard for me being – I only spent two years at Burton Catholic. They brought me down from Canada to go play football there. But what I, what I remember the most, we Don Bosco, like, you didn't like them at all. And they're, that's a big-time football school. And <laughs> I was laughing because I'm watching that. I'm going, my favorite football team are the New York Giants, and their starting quarterback's a kid from Don Bosco. And I said, I still have to cheer for him, and I hate the guy that's a quarterback. <laughs> you know, he's doing a good job. I was like, damn. Um, yeah, that's how I feel about Belmont Hill Pier. You know that, but it's all right. <laughs> um, all right, we got one more clip I want to go to, and we'll kind of fast forward again to that bubble year. Uh, so let's go to this final clip right here. Correction, that was the second straight one. I apologize for that. But, Kenny, uh, to see what, you know, Pierre has mentioned this a couple times in this show about people saying, oh, there should be an asterisk next to what Tampa did in 2020. When I look at it, and I know Pierre feels the same, and I see what they did in the bubble that year, and then to come back and win it again after everything they had been through with the upside-down seasons, travel, what have you, I think it's a great accomplishment. One of the greatest I've seen in my time covering the game. No, I agree. I, I don't think there should be any type of asterisk. Uh, I think the teams in the bubble, and I'm sure Pierre would agree with this, the teams that went the furthest to the conference finals seem to embrace it. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of time isolated, away from your family, uh, inside this 10-foot fence. And, and Pierre and I were, were there in Edmonton. I was there for 37 days. I think Pierre was there for 70 days. And you were literally inside a 10-foot fence that surrounded the arena and two hotels. It was three hotels early on. And then when there were fewer teams, it became two hotels. And it was a mental challenge for a lot of people who were in there. Um, and, and Tampa Bay, Dallas, uh, the Islanders, uh you know, really seemed to embrace it. And, and Vegas was the other team that got to the conference final. And they turned it into a positive. Yeah. And, uh, for, for Tampa Bay and Dallas, it was a grind. Uh, they played until uh, September, right? That's when the Stanley Cup final was in 2020. And then for Tampa Bay to come back, the regular season started in January. Yeah. And the playoffs went until July. They won that cup on July 7th, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Yeah. So that, mm -hmm. that was a grind. Um, yeah. So I give them full credit, and uh, that was also uh, a great memory, having the opportunity to call that that Stanley Cup. That was NBC's last game, last NHL game yeah. in Tampa when the Lightning beat the Canadians. And that was, a, that was a heck of a run by the Canadians, too, in that year. It was fun it to was. watch. 
It was they never should have, they never should have beat Vegas. Mark Andre Fleury with the turnover in the game. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> but anyways, he did that in the World Junior in two thousand and four too in Helsinki, Finland, where he shot the puck off Braden Colburn's derriere, and Patrick O'Sullivan got credit for the goal. And that was the golden goal for the Americans. First time they ever won the World Junior. You know, we're talking about things that were the last. One of the great things that I had the privilege of doing with Kenny. One of the first ever playoff games that Kale McCarr played, Colorado versus San Jose. Kenny, I think you can share with the audience. I know how I felt. How did you feel watching Kale McCarr at the, when he had just come out of UMass Amherst? Right. I mean, I had heard so much about him, and, and I, you saw him play, uh, you know, over those prior seasons. But you, you could tell right away he was such a special talent. And, you know, you watch some of the younger players now that have come into the league and, and – uh, it's just so much fun to watch the level that a lot of them are playing at. But yes, those early games watching Kale McCarr uh, didn't play in the regular season, came in, uh, joined Colorado in the playoffs, and and fit right in right from the start. Jimmy, it was it was amazing because yeah. McKinnon never deferred to anybody. He deferred to Kale McCarr on the power play in particular. It was unbelievable to watch. And Kenny and I would marvel. We'd walk back to our hotel in San Jose after the game and go have dinner afterwards and. We'd be talking about Makar and be talking about McKinnon, and you'd be like, "This guy's legit! Like he's 19 years old." <laughs> yeah, it's so cool when you see talent like that come in the league too, and you're just like, "Whoa, this is unreal!" Yeah. And speaking of Kale McCarr, guys, did Jimmy Montgomery twice now to me has said he thinks eventually he's in Bobby Orr stratosphere. Do you guys agree? Uh, I'm gonna hold off on that one. Jim. I'm gonna hold off on that one. I certainly know how Pierre feels about Bobby Orr. And, you know, I only saw him play. I was young right at the tail end of his career. But I hear all the stories from, yeah, from me too. Pierre and from Dave Maloney, my longtime partner who worked, was a camper at Bobby Orr's camp when he was 13 and 14 years old. And then he wow. there as yeah. a counselor uh, for many years. So, you know, I hear all the stories. But when you look at at, at Kale McCarr and Quinn Hughes and, and some of the other young defensemen and, and – you know what they're doing out on the ice it's it's pretty incredible to watch yeah well he gets to cover one every day charlie mcavoy kenny right from your neck of the woods i mean it's amazing right. to see how oh. hockey is growing all over the new york metropolitan area yeah. adam adam fox into the conversation as well he's yeah. already won right. the trophy yeah. he and charlie mcavoy grew up playing together when they were seven years old yep. yeah good old, oh, good old long beach hey so you got a new book uh out uh kenny why don't you tell us about it well, uh, thanks for asking. And Pierre was kind enough to uh, take part, wrote a, wrote a blurb uh, for the book. And th there are a lot of stories about the, the times that I spent working with Pierre. Um, it, it's called The Mike for All Seasons. And I always felt like I had a lot of stories to tell. Every summer I speak to several uh, sports casting camps, high school and college students uh, who attend these camps and want to get into broadcasting. And they all ask great questions, and I wind up telling a lot of the same stories. So I figured, why not put pen to paper at some point? I had thought about it for a while, never really had the time. And then when the pandemic first hit, uh, we all had the time at home, right? right. Not doing a lot. So I started to write some, uh, uh, you know, sample paragraphs, portions of chapters, put an outline together. And a book agent in New York named Andrew Blowner had contacted me uh, several years prior. And he said, he's a big sports fan, and he said, if you're ever thinking about writing a book, let me know. Maybe we can put you together with a publisher. And 
that's exactly what he did. Uh, Triumph Books out of Chicago. And it was really a, a fun project to work on. I wrote it myself. No ghostwriter. Always awesome. enjoyed writing. Wanted it to be my stories, my voice. Um, starts out in my early life growing up in a, in a sports casting family and calling games into a tape recorder. And then when I was old enough, I would start bringing it to games at Madison Square Garden and Shea Stadium and did play-by-play -play into the recorder. Um, actually, the, the book begins prior to five, six years prior to my birth uh, when my parents met at Shea Stadium, believe it or not. Yeah. Um, my <laughs> doing a radio pregame show for the New York Mets. And my mother was a 19-year-old who took a job as an usherette at Shea Stadium to show people the <laughs> seat. And he wound up interviewing her on the radio at one of the first games. Oh, my God. So, if not for the Mets, uh, I wouldn't be here today. But uh, <laughs> and uh, broadcasting throughout high school and college, playing club hockey in high school and then for NYU. Uh, the team was formed by another student my first year. I didn't score a lot of goals, but I scored the first goal in NYU hockey history. And nice. I did uh, a, a full chapter of my time with the Baltimore Skipjacks calling oh. American games. Uh, my roommate on the road, as Pierre knows very well, was Barry Trotz. He was our assistant coach. We roomed together on the road for two years. Joel wow. Quenville was on our team, one of my seasons. So we had the second and third winningest head coaches in NHL history behind Scotty Bowman uh -huh. uh, us when I was working in the American Hockey League. And then a chapter on each sport that I've been so fortunate to do. Um, a chapter on calling the Olympics. A chapter on the COVID years and you know how we called games in the bubble. Um, a chapter on the color analyst that I worked with, a chapter on travel tales, uh, a chapter on paying it forward to, to young broadcasters. So uh, a lot of fun stories in the book. Um, if we have a minute, my, my two favorites, and I won't give it away, you know, I'll just give you the Cliff Notes version, but, uh, and Pierre knows this one, it was a prank set up by Barry Trotz, a fake arrest. I was the victim. Oh, no. Up in Sydney, Nova Scotia. Frank, and uh, for about 20 minutes, I had no clue what was going on. And then my other favorite story is uh, I was doing the post-game interviews for Fox following the Yankee Red Sox 2003. Uh, okay. I know in your, in your neck of the woods, you might not want to hear this. And yeah, you've, won, okay. you've won three times since then. But Exactly. We're over it. <laughs> the Aaron Boone game. So I'm in the Yankee clubhouse, and it's like one in the morning, and I'm interviewing Joe Torre and some of the players in – I threw it back up to the booth to Joe Buck and Tim McCarver, and then they went to the late local news. We were off the air. And I see Mayor Bloomberg, who's a Boston native, right, yep. standing in the corner, and his PR guy comes over to me and whispers, can you interview the mayor next? And I said, we're off the air. And then he said to me, can you fake it? So he didn't <laughs> want to look at it. So I've been in an interview with Mayor Bloomberg. So that, that also made it up. But you know, one of the things. One of the things that I'm most proud of, and it's kind of surreal whenever I look at the cover, but uh, the forwards were written by Wayne Gretzky and Walt Clive Frazier, uh, wow. two, two broadcast partners of mine. Uh, Wayne has joined us on occasion with TNT, and I work about 15 Knicks games a year with Clyde. So uh, for those two gentlemen to agree to take part in the forward and uh, to Pierre and Barry Trotz and so many others who uh, wrote a little blurb at the front of the book, uh, just so gracious and thankful. But again, it was a fun project. Um, it's available. It's out there. Uh, the yeah. book, has, book has its own Instagram site, a mic for all seasons to follow its journey. 
Um, and you don't have to be a sports fan or, uh, or interested in broadcasting. It's a lot about family and hard work and dedication and right. a lot of stories about the bubble and, and, and the times, uh, you know, the, the decade plus that I worked with Pierre and NBC. So, uh, Olympics a lot, you know, a, a big portion of one of the chapters about that women's gold medal game. So hopefully some of your listeners and viewers can pick it up. I think, uh, you know, I enjoy hearing the reaction from from both friends and family and people that I don't know who I run into who right. uh, copy of the book. Oh, we Jimmy, will. Jimmy, I just want to tell you, Kenny and I like to go for dinners after games. Mm-hmm. There's one place we haven't been together, but it's both, I think, our favorite restaurant. It's in Closter, New Jersey. It's called Rudy's. And okay. if you're in the mood and you like baked seedy or anything Italian, you go to Rudy's and just say Kenny sent you. Okay. Beautiful. <laughs> I'm doing it. I was just in there the other day, and in the back of my book, I list my top 20 restaurants, both at home and on the road, and Rudy's made it onto the list, as well as a number of other restaurants that Pierre (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've had a few meals. (laughs) Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, Kenny, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us here, and, uh, you know, enjoy not much hockey this week, but you're lucky to call one game, you know, so that's good. You got a game in there. And are you headed to Toronto as well? I actually am not in a working capacity, but okay. uh, was invited to Toronto for the weekend. Uh, my wife and my older daughter, who actually works for the NHL, she's a video editor, producer. Oh, cool. Uh, will be heading up to enjoy the festivities this weekend. Nice. Well, enjoy it. Say hi to everybody and have a good time. And hopefully you get a little breather in between somewhere to uh, relax a bit, because I know you got to – the grind is starting. The stretch run is here in hockey and, of course, basketball as well. So keep up the great work, my friend. We appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Love the podcast. Continued success. And thank you. See you both in person soon. All right. You're sounds fine, good. Kenny. Thanks for taking the time. Now go enjoy Lower Broadway in Nashville. I know where you are. Don't worry. <laughs> Will do. Will do. Thanks, guys. Tootsies. All right. That's Kenny Albert joining us here on the iTest on the Sick Podcast Network. And uh, he's a gem here. He really is. Um, you know what? You know, I've worked with Gordon Miller, Chris Cutper, Dave Hodge, Bob McKenzie. Doc Emmerich, you know, you look at some of the people that I've had the privilege of working with, and Kenny's right in there. And I spent so much time with Kenny, especially the bubble. The bubble years yeah. were really interesting with Kenny because it was just the two of us. Um, and they were producing and directing those games from back in Stanford, Connecticut. They weren't doing those from on location. So it was really interesting. Um, just grateful for all the time. And I wasn't kidding you. Whenever there's a football game that he's working, I always – text him because I watch them all or I try to and, and he'll give me you know like this is not so good or this is really good and yep. here's a good one he didn't want to tell you because he's just such a polite guy okay his producer when he first started on the NFL on Fox was a guy by the name of Keith Pelly oh, Keith Pelly oh, yeah. is a person that ran TSN when I left coaching to go on TV yeah. Keith is a person that hired me Keith eventually ran all of the Olympics for Canadian TV, and that's when I really started getting involved in the Olympics. And then Keith left Canadian TV to go run the DP World Tour in golf. And he just resigned his position there to take over as the president of Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. So he's now running the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Toronto Raptors, uh, the Toronto Argonauts, the, the football team, and the soccer team in Toronto. Wow. He's running all of Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. He starts, I think, at the beginning of March. So he was Kenny's first producer. 
Wow. In USL. I mean, it's amazing the guys Kenny's worked with over his yeah. career. I mean, it's Same really- with you, though. Yeah, same with you. And I got, I got to tell listeners too, I like I know viewers, you know, I, I, that's one of my favorite things too, Pierre, is texting with you or, or Rex during a game <laughs> and you get right back to me and we're sharing little things we're seeing in the game. I love it. Yeah, so, no, I, well, I see, it's just a, it's such a passion. I really believe it's, and this is for the younger people that maybe are watching this and they want to try to do this for a living. Um, the passion's the most important thing. If it becomes a yeah. chore, it's not for you. It's not for yep. you. Keep you know, up. I get up every day and I write breaking down tape, and that's what I like to do. I mean, it's not for everybody. No, nope. you know, when I was coaching, I, I would sleep in my office a lot. Maybe I shouldn't have done that, but I did it. You know, yeah. And so it's just, anyways. To make a long story short, I think the passion really matters if you're going to do this. And you saw it right there in Kenny. You can see oh, it's Kenny, burning, Kenny says, burning bright. Yeah, he'll have that the day he leaves the earth. Uh, I'll tell you, though, Pierre, I think we got a couple questions. Let's see uh, what we got over here. Interact with our fans, for sure. Yeah, sure. And and, and one thing, too, I know some people are trying to ask some questions uh, for Kenny. Uh, What we'll do, uh, you know, as we go on, we'll we'll start to talk to our guests. We'd like to talk to him beforehand, just to give him a heads up if we're going to let the guests interact in that part of the show. Um, So that's why we didn't go to you there. But we appreciate you asking those questions. I've been looking at them. They're all great. Um, and it looks like even Kenny, you know, coincidentally answered some of them by accident. Uh, so that worked out well. But, um, yeah, let's go to some questions right now. Here we go. Pierre, who do you think is the best drafted player not currently in the NHL? And that's from Marvin Matthews. Um, well, BC's got three of them. Uh, when you think about Ryan Leonard, uh, Gabe Pearl, and Will Smith, those would be three. Uh, Mitch Koff over in Russia, Philadelphia's first-round pick. He'd be up there. It's hard to say which one's the best because they're all really good. Um, you know, Jacob Fowler's not a shrinking violet. The goalie oh, that Boston College has owned by yeah. the Montreal Canadiens. Lane Hudson's pretty darn good. Um, and Celebrini hasn't been drafted yet. So I'm just looking at the best guys. So if you were to ask me put a you know a decision, the best, probably Mitch Koff. All right, and then sticking kind of with the draft, uh, there's a question there from A, guys, if you could pull it up. Where would Celebrini go in the 2023 draft, and where does the top 10 of this coming draft rank in comparison to other years? Yeah, that's so. That's a good that's, question. It's uh, a good question. Uh, last year's draft, I would say Celebrini probably top three. He would have gone in the top three. Okay. Um, you got to remember, he's 17 years old playing college hockey now. It's you know, I tell the story all the time. Brady Kachuk had eight goals his freshman year at Boston University. The next year, he had 23 in the NHL. Yeah, I mean, you know, college hockey's hard to score. It is. I can, like I watch a ton of games. It's really hard to score in college hockey. So I would say, and in terms of uh, the depth of the top 10 of this draft, it's not. It's good. Um, I think it's more slanted towards defensemen than it is forwards at this point, at the halfway point of the year. Um, but I would say, you know, if I were grading it, I'd say it's a B plus top 10. I wouldn't say it's an A plus. I'd say it's a B plus. All right. Let's go to another one if we got one. Alex Ivanowski from 2006 to 2021. What was Pierre's favorite Stanley Cup finally covered? I think the best was 2013, even if it didn't go seven games. That yeah, 2013, 2013 was really good. Yeah. Um, 
Not for Bruins fans, but no, the Bruins. I mean, the Bees. Yeah. You know, Chicago in Game Six with with David Bolin in particular. I mean, just killer. Um, let me think here of all of them. You know, it was a good one. It never got enough acclaim. Was the 06 Carolina yeah. Edmonton was I agree. seven games, and it was a heck of a it was a heck of a final. I'd say, you know what? To be totally honest, fair, balanced, Boston, Vancouver, there was everything. There were villains. There were heroes. There were goalie poles. There was nasty. There was skill. There was you know, you had Alex Burrows. Yeah, yeah, you, had, you, had, you got. <laughs> Cheech, you know, you had travel. I'm going to say of all those, probably 2011. Yeah, 20 I would go, Pierre. I mean, I, I haven't covered nearly as many as you, but just in terms of since I – let's just say since we came back from the nuclear winter and that whole season was wiped up. So starting with 05-06, I would have said 05-06. And I would say 2011, and it's not just because I'm from Boston or I covered it. I'm just saying in terms of excitement and everything you just said, I'd say that's in there as well. And yeah, I mean that that one with uh, that game six with Chicago was pretty exciting. That was crazy. I'm trying to think off the top of my head too. Other ones, I mean those back to back Red Wings uh, Penguins were fun. They, they, were, they were good. They, no, they were really good. I don't know. They were almost like they were one series together. If they were, you know it's like they blended. That's exactly what I was going to say. You said it better than I did, Jimmy. They blended. Um, Pittsburgh too. You got like they beat Nashville, they beat San Jose, but there wasn't like there wasn't the drama because there were two teams that never really hated each other. Like yeah. Pittsburgh didn't hate Nashville, Nashville didn't hate Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh, yeah. nobody hates San Jose. Yeah, you know they're just nice guys. So it's just, it was, <laughs> Bruins, it was, Bruins, Blues, maybe twenty nineteen. That was a good you know, series. I, that one's a weird series, and I'll tell you why I thought it was weird. You know, you covered that. Yeah, who in their right mind? After St. Louis got absolutely blackjack shellacked in game six, they didn't just get beat. They got blown out. They got crushed. Yeah. Who thinks they're coming into Boston? They get outshot. I don't even know what the shots were in the first period, but it had to be almost like seven. Actually, I think. They, crushed, they crushed St. Louis, and they get out of the first period with a lead. It's all about Bennington. Yeah. You know, who in their right mind thinks St. Louis is winning that game seven after the way they were crushed in six and right. really in the first period. That was crazy what happened there. Yeah, that was something. That was a run. And by the way, St. Louis still in it this year. <laughs> Unreal that they're still hanging around. You know, you know the golden rule, I keep telling you, you got to be 10 points or less mm -hmm. in order to make it into the playoffs. If you're 10 points or more, you're not going to get in. Exactly. There's only two teams that have done it, Buffalo and St. Louis, since we got the salary cap. Yeah, for sure. All right, what else we have? What else we have for questions here? Randy Workman, what's your opinion of Connor Zary? Well, I think I know the the answer to this. Yeah, no, smart, really smart, heavy offensive player, really good. I've also watched his cousin play, who plays at Long Island University for Brett Riley, one of the best young coaches in the NCA right now, uh, and he's a really talented kid too. He doesn't skate as well as Connor, but a really talented offensive player. Um, no, Connor Zerry is a really good player. It was a very good pick. Uh, he's earned his time in the NHL, Jimmy. I think it's only upward from here for him. And, and by the way, Long, you mentioned Long Island University up here, and we were talking a little bit about college hockey and independent universities, so to speak, not the big conference ones. 
they're they're a good little story that nobody's talking about in the college hockey world. Like what they've been doing over the last couple of years. Yeah, they're they're starting to get on the map. I'm telling you right now, if I was the AD of that school, I'd be signing Brett Riley to a long-term deal. He's one of the best young coaches outside the NHL. Forget in college hockey. He's one of the best young coaches outside the NHL. That's how good the guy is. And I I can tell you right now, he comes from coaching royalty. His grandfather coached a 1960 Olympic team that won a gold medal uh, and was a legendary coach at West Point. Uh, his father coached at West Point at Babson College, where he won a national championship, coaching the American Hockey League. And his father, Rob, who did all that coaching, now works for the Colorado Avalanche. His uncle, Brian, is a longtime coach at West Point, but before that was an assistant um, at West Point. He also played at Brown. He was an assistant at Plattsburgh State. The Rileys are an amazing coaching family, but I think the best one is the youngest one. I think Brett's really good. and. You're right on. You're right on about that. He, this yeah. guy is really special. I'm telling you, he's going to do great things. Great things. Good stuff, too. I mean, that's a good – it's an underrated – we've talked about underrated hockey regions in the United States. That Long Island area has really become a great hockey region, and we just talked about Adam Fox and Charlie McAvoy coming from there. So, well, you know, uh, you we, Pinto, right, from that yeah, area? He's another one. And we, we talk, it doesn't always have to be from Long Island, just New York State kids. I'm looking at Matt, you know, Matt – Missouri. You, you look at Matt Coronado, who's playing for the Calgary Flames now. He was an amazing player at Harvard. He left after his second year. He's put up, I think, a point a game average in the American Hockey League. Not an easy thing to yeah, do. He's got Calgary right now, and he's playing fantastically well. He can play center of the wing, and that's just another example of another guy coming from you know what used to be a non-traditional hockey market for young players. Now it's they're producing Charlie McAvoy's, like you said, Shane Pinto's, Adam Fox's, Matt mm-hmm. Coronado's. You know, it's amazing. It's good stuff. All right. I think we got one more question. We'll close her up here. Alex Ovanoski, were you surprised Chicago didn't won, win another cup after 2015? Totally get how hard it is, but with Panarin, it felt like they might have missed another chance. No, I wasn't surprised at all. Um, used to talk with Kenny Albert, our good friend that we just had on about it. I used to talk to Doc Emmerich about it. I used to talk to Scotty Bowman about it. Obviously not on the air. Um, I could see they were getting tired, Jimmy. You know, mm-hmm. I could see it. And if you look at it, they had a hard time in series. If they were tight checking series, they just didn't have that extra depth yeah. to be able to get there. And I think a lot of it is just because of fatigue. It's almost, yeah. again, I'm not trying to say Tampa won't win this year. But it's almost like Tampa last year when they lost in the first round. They ran out of steam. Yeah. They're out of gas. Yeah. They're just out of, out of gas. And, and After what we just, I mean, we just spoke about that little short interval they had between 2020 and then, you know, three months later, they got a new season starting up and they still go and win the cup. So sooner or later, it catches up to you. But it's amazing what both teams did uh, during those dynasty periods of. Uh, you know what's amazing about Chicago? People forget how good LA was LA won two cups over the time that Chicago won three. Yep. People forget how good Anaheim was and Anaheim was the redheaded stepchild because LA and Chicago were so good. And yep. people forget how good freaking San Jose was. Yeah. It was really good. So in the West you had this conglomeration of power and somebody was always the odd man out. It kind of reminds me of the 1980s when the Winnipeg Jets were really, really, really good. They were really good. They always had to face the Oilers and the Flames. You had Edmonton and you had Calgary. Yep. <laughs> you weren't getting out of your division. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, so Anaheim was kind of stuck in that, even though they won the Cup in 07. 
Yeah. Um, after that, they were I'd they were. I'd throw Vancouver in there too, Pierre. They had some really good seasons in that in that run. No, you're right. The eleven, and if, you know, I him. You're right about that. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. So they, they're going to be there for again for a while too, I think. But uh, we'll talk about that on another show. Well, listen, Pierre, that was great. I'm so happy you were able to set that up. Uh, Kenny is a great guest, and uh, Pierre, we've got another great guest lined up for tomorrow. You want to tell the listeners who we got coming on? Yeah, he actually appeared in the movie Slapshot. He's coached in the NHL. He's coached in the East Coast League. He's won championships in the American Hockey League. Uh, he's working on TV, but I think he's you know probably wanting to get back to coaching, and it would be Bruce Boudreaux. And by the way, I think you know this, Jimmy, but for people that really don't go in depth, Bruce Boudreaux was one of the best scorers in the American Hockey League when he played. He wasn't a little. He was an offensive dynamo when he played in the American Hockey League. And people see him and they're like, "Come on, there's no way." Yeah. He really was. He he was a phenomenal, phenomenal point getter. Well, I'm looking forward to talking to Bruce tomorrow, and then Thursday we've got John Shannon, and then we've got Bradbury, head coach of North Dakota, joining us on Friday, and then Pierre. We're gonna stick with college hockey, aren't we, to start the week on uh, next? What a, Monday, what a Monday show we have. We haven't had all the guests confirmed yet, so I won't say it yet. But we have. Uh, well, I'll, give you the, I'll give you the three we have. So okay, far. all right. So we've got Scott Fusco, Nima. Baker winner from Harvard University. We've got Doug Brown, who was an elite player at Boston College and won Stanley Cups in the NHL. And then we've got Jay Heinbach, who is Mr. Um, Beanpot from Northeastern University. You know, it's just amazing. The guy was just Mr. Beanpot. And he's scouting scouting for the Pittsburgh Penguins right now and has been there for a long time. So they're all going to join us. What we're going to do, folks, is we're going to do each person for 10 minutes. Yep. And boom, boom, boom. We have a fourth candidate who um, I told Jimmy knows, but I just don't want to put him in the hot spot yet. But, and if this person agrees to it, it's going to be tremendous. It's, we'll that's all, all four Boston, schools covered. It's a living legend from Boston University. Yeah, so we'll have all four schools covered, we hope, uh, for the bean pot as the semifinals kick off on Monday. And then, of course, the finals will be the week later. And, Pierre, I know you're going to be away in South Carolina uh, this that Monday, the first Monday. But I hope you're home on the second. Oh, I'll be, I'll be back for the second right. Monday. You and I are going to have to go check that game out. Know, you know, the only reason I'm not going to be there for the first Monday is I've got a project that I have to take care of. Good. And it's it's definitely understandable. But you'll be watching from afar, as you always well, are. <laughs> and it just, you know, it's cool thing, too, is that they start up, you know, you got the game at five, and then you got another one at eight. So it's it's great back-to-back hockey on a Monday night. It's, it's one of those dead sports nights in the year, too. The All-Star Games, uh, Don, no football the night before. It's just a perfect time to kick back on a nice cold night and watch some hockey. So you get some bean pot hockey there. I'm looking forward to it. But first, we'll get to Bruce Brugger tomorrow here on the eye test. He's Pierre McGuire. I'm Jimmy Murphy. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you tomorrow. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the eye test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy on YouTube, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts.